Chapter 19 Poor stupid hork Visser 3 said, dripping fake pity. You can't even appreciate the magnificence of this morph. It's called a kaftid. The Visser's andalite head narrowed and stretched forward till it looked like the head of a seahorse. You know, with that rigid, tubular mouth? His neck elongated. Two leathery wings that could not possibly have allowed him to fly grew just behind the head. His four-legged body mutated, growing a fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth leg. The tail disappeared altogether, and where there had been blue fur highlighted with tan, there was now a green, slimy, frog-like skin. I yanked Beck close, fought a wave of pain, and tried to dodge around the monster that Visser Three was becoming. But Beck was in full panic. He was yelping and crying and trying to get back to what probably seemed like the safety of the building. I tried to lift him up, but I was unfamiliar with my hork body, and worried about cutting the young hork with my blades. At last, I managed to get an arm around Beck's middle, and ran around the Visser's right side. Too late! Spass! A liquid the color of antifreeze squirted from the monster's pouting mouth. It missed me by millimeters, and hit a fallen two-by-four. Acid! In seconds, the wood was smoking and disintegrating from the corrosion of the greenish-yellow acid. Ha ha ha! Visser Three exulted. Are you ready to surrender, hork You're not a fighter. Your people were meant to be our slaves. Surrender. What an excellent idea. With Beck in my arms, I couldn't risk a direct attack on this hideous, acid-spitting alien freak. I surrender, I cried. Down on your face, then, he snapped. I have endolite bandits to deal with. Down on your face in the mud, slave, and keep hold of that little one, too. Yes, down on face, I said, trying my best to sound like a hork I knelt and started to stretch out. And that's when Visser Three got over-anxious. He started to rush past me, desperate to reach the others. He stepped a little too near, and suddenly, instead of eight legs, he had five. One fast, powerful swipe of my arm. Blade, blade, blade. I was like that new three-blade razor. Ah! He bellowed in pain and rage. He began to topple over, unable to support himself with his one left leg. But even as he fell, he twisted his head and took aim. Point-blank range. Point blank at Beck. Jerking every muscle in my body, I rolled over Beck, putting my back between him and the Visser's acid spray. Pain! Unimaginable pain! I was burning alive! I was on fire! I couldn't think, couldn't control myself, 
not even for a moment. I got to my feet, staggered, screaming in agony, to the lagoon, and plunged into the water. Water! Blessed, muddy water diluted the acid before it could eat right through my spine. Relief! But even as I shuddered at the lessening of the pain, I realized that I had let Bet go. I rose up from the lagoon, dripping mud, and looked frantically toward shore. No Visser Three, no Kafted, and no Beck. No! I cried in anguish. From the wreckage of Frank's safari land came a burly, deceptively roly-poly animal. It ran to the water's edge and stopped. It reared up to its full height, as tall as a hork The grizzly bear blinked nearsightedly. Tobias? I lost back! Get out of that water or you'll lose your butt! Rachel yelled. You've got gators coming after you! I lost back! I cried. Forget him! She said harshly. The Yurks are bailing. So are we. There's cops and fire engines and paramedics coming. We're out of here. Chapter 20 I had lost the young hork The Yurks had him. I had lost him. Maybe they get him to reveal the way to the secret hork valley. Maybe. Maybe they'd make him a controller. All because of me. Because I'd let pain distract me. Because I wasn't focused. That had been the human in me. The human in me had given too much weight to pain. A hawk knew better. A hawk didn't care about pain. I was in my meadow. The sun was just coming up, rising to hide behind the gray blanket drawn across the sky during the night. I was ravenous. And why? Why had I not eaten? The human in me. How else to explain the strange confusion I felt, the horrific visions of myself as my own prey? Human. I could become human again. Right now, I could do it. Right now, I could tick off the two hours and never, never have to kill to eat. Well, at least not have to do my own killing. A quick morph, two hours, and I'd be back. Back where I'd started. Human. Tobias the boy. Ever since the Elemist had given me back my power to morph and allowed me to reacquire my own original DNA, the question had hung in the air. Rachel wondered, I know. Once, she'd suggested it to me. Why not just become fully human again? I hadn't given her an answer. I saw the other hawk float suddenly into my field of vision. He was getting bolder, more aggressive. How long till he attacked, and I withdrew? If I had been a true hawk, the battle would have long since been drawn. Even an old, sick hawk would have put up a better fight than I had so far. He was floating above the rabbit hole. My rabbit hole. He was pure hawk. The real thing. Not some freak with a talon in one world and a foot in the other. Hey there. I thought spoke. Yeah, you. Hawk, why don't you go pick on someone else's territory? No answer. Of course not. Words meant nothing to him. They weren't even background noise. They might as well have been silence.
Those are my rabbits, you jerk. Get out of here. I know I don't eat them, but they're still mine. I know I'm unable to hunt and kill like a hawk should, but do you have to rub my nose in it? My beak? The hunger came up in a wave. What a sickening life. What a disgusting creature I was. To live my life as a hawk, I had to fight another hawk. A bird fight. And over what? A rabbit? A few mice? I was going to fight that bird for the right to kill and eat rodents? Before, I'd had no choice. Now, I did. I was choosing to live as a hawk. Choosing to build a life around a scruffy meadow and the pitiful rodents in it. Maybe I was crazy. Before, I'd been able to tell myself I had nowhere else to go. No one to take me in. No parents. No family. Now, there was this Arya person. She was actually going out of her way to find me. To care for me. Maybe. Tobias? I jerked, startled. I recognized Axe's thought-speak voice and calmed down. He comes around sometimes. We are the weird couple of the galaxy. The alien and the bird boy. Hey, X-Man, what's up? Up is the opposite of down. Although, of course, those terms are meaningless outside the context of a distinct, localized gravity field. Okay. Was that funny? I was attempting a joke. Ah, well, I'm probably not the guy to ask, I said evasively. I looked down from my perch on the eerie-looking creature who was my friend. When you look at an Andalite, there's just no avoiding the obvious. They aren't from around here. He was looking up at me with one stalk eye. The other was roaming left and right, while his man eyes gazed out across the meadow. Have you eaten? He asked. I could lie. No. There is insufficient prey? Yeah, and one too many predators. Yes, I saw the other member of your species. I have no species, I said. I'm a one-of-a-kind freak. Axe didn't have an answer for that. I don't think Andalites approve of self-pity or other pointless emotions like that. I sighed. Sorry, I'm hungry and in a bad mood. Hunger is distracting, Axe allowed. Since the others are in their human school today, I thought perhaps we could investigate this Arya woman some more. We should be finding that little hork I lost, I said bitterly, not checking out my relatives. You found the hork the first time by following the Arya woman. Was he implying something? No, it was just coincidence, wasn't it? Arya was a nature photographer. She'd heard about this strange animal and had gone to see it. She couldn't be a controller. Why would a controller complain about the treatment of animals at Frank's Safari Land? Okay, X-Man. It'll give us something to do, anyway. I took a last look at my opponent. Go ahead. Take the stupid meadow. Chapter 21 We took turns, Axe and I. 
He used the roofs of the skyscrapers to demorph and remorph, out of sight of curious eyes. All that day, a red-tailed hawk and a northern harrier flew around the Hyatt Regency Hotel. When Arya went to lunch down the street, we followed. When she visited an exhibit of black and white photographs, I morphed a human and stayed with her. We followed her, hour after hour, waiting, watching for some contact with a known controller, looking for any attempt to visit the yerk pool hidden beneath a large part of our town. A yerk must return to the yerk pool every three days. We couldn't watch her for three days, but we could watch her for a lot of that time. She didn't. Instead, after eight hours of watching, we had seen her eat, seen her read the newspaper, seen her walk in the park, seen her return to the hotel several times and go back out again. No one had approached her. We'd learned nothing, nothing at all, except that she seemed to enjoy her hotel room. She'd go out for a while, but return every couple of hours. She'd leave the curtains open. We could watch her, except for when she stepped into the bathroom and closed the door. What is beyond that door? Axe asked. Toilet, I said. You know, peeing and so on. Ah, are there no, no toilet facilities except in the hotel? Axe wondered. Sure there are, but you know, I think women are more iffy about using public restrooms than guys are. Why? Well, I don't know. It's probably the whole sitting down versus standing up thing. Axe had no idea what I was talking about, but I guess he figured he'd let it go. Besides, having made her pit stop, Arya was on the move again. We caught up with her outside. She was walking quickly along the sidewalk. It was maybe three in the afternoon now. Time for us to be getting back to hook up with Jake and the others. And that's when it happened. A little girl broke away from her mother, turned around, and went running back into the street. A city bus was barreling straight toward her. Look out! I yelled out of sheer instinct. There was a scream from the mother, but she was too far away. I saw Arya's head snap around. She saw the accident about to happen. She dropped her camera and made a tackle the runner on the two-yard line lunge. She hit the girl in the back, knocked her forward, and rolled with the little girl onto the narrow concrete median strip. The mother came running. The little girl bellowed, but seemed okay. Arya got up and brushed herself off. She just saved that little girl's life, I said. Yes, and she could easily have been killed. Oh, my God, I said slowly, amazed. She really is human. No controller would ever have done that. No, Axe agreed. That makes it very clear that Arya is not acting as a controller would. Very clear. Something in Axe's choice of words bothered me, but I forgot about it in the rush of emotions that followed. I'd been assuming this was all a trap. I'd assumed Arya was a controller. But she wasn't. She was what she said she was. A human woman looking for her long-lost cousin Tobias. My last excuse for remaining a hawk, for refusing to become human again, was lost. Now I could have a home, 
Now I could have a family. True. All of it true. I could have a home. Like a human being. A home! I would not kill my breakfast. I would not eat roadkill. I would sleep in a bed. And Rachel would look at me without having to hide the pity in her eyes. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. I have uh, some lovely messages. Well, really, I have two messages, both from the same person. Uh, let's start with thanking uh, Kit Maverick is the alias they want to go by, which is a great alias. Great na- I love that. Kit Maverick. That's exciting, you know? But uh, welcome plat- new Platinum member, Kit Maverick, uh, who attached the note from a grateful Phantomorph. Uh, and of course, you become a Platinum member of this podcast by using my donation link found on my website, theapocalypse.com. That's the apocalypse, like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Uh, I have a link to my PayPal up there, and if the spirit does move you and you want to uh, donate to my server fees, that's where you can do it. No pressure at all. Um, I am blessed to make enough money at my job that I don't, uh, I can afford the server fees. But if you appreciate what I do and want to throw a couple bucks my way or whatever, I'm never going to say no to that. So thank you so much, Kit. And, uh, speaking of website, Kit also used the, en- the contact form on that website to write me a lovely letter that I will now read to you. Uh, it says, Hi there. I just wanted to let you know how grateful I am for this podcast. I grew up collecting and reading Animorphs, although I'm not sure I ever read the entire series. Every time I'd go to Savers with my dad to buy school clothes or sports equipment or or household goods, I'd make a beeline right for the book section to see if I could find any Animorphs books. This was in the early 2000s-10s, so there was a huge surplus of donated kids' books, and I always found one or two every time I went. I never read the series beginning to end, though. In my 20s, I started rereading the I started rereading books I'd grown up with to cope with the stress of having excuse me. Uh, let me try that one again. In my 20s, I started rereading books I'd grown up with to cope with the stresses of being a working adult in a crumbling late-stage capitalist economy. With a certain major children's book author turning out to be a transphobe, my options for quality literature with both the nostalgia factor and a depth palpable to the adult mind were limited. But then I remembered Animorphs. I discovered that Catherine I discovered that Catherine Applegate made the PDFs public domain, so I started with those. I do continue to check thrift stores weekly for more paper copies, but I'm busy, and Audible is how I pass long commutes, a habit I picked up uh, when attending a college that was an hour and 40 minutes from me. Of course, Audible credits are expensive, 30, $33 for a three-pack. So when I discovered this bootleg, I was ecstatic. Right now, I'm in the middle of the second Megamorphs, the one between books 18 and 19. I'm dreading the day I make it to the 23rd. Oh, there's a loud car. Can you guys hear that? I'm going to try to edit this a little bit, but I don't care as much about these entry notes. You hear that car outside, man, blasting that radio? They're having a good time. Sorry, back to this lovely letter. Um, I'm dreading the day I made it. I make it to the 23rd, as that will be the day I can no longer binge endlessly with no delays between episodes but I will continue to consume new segments as they come out, and I hope the enjoyment that listening to your work uh, has brought me is quadrupled for you in recording them. 
As far as bootleg audiobooks go, this one is one of the mo- uh, this one is one of the greatest finds I'm lucky enough to have made. Each character has a unique performance, and you continue to post faithfully, much more often than other bootleggers. This podcast is such a gift to me, and I'm sure many others as well. And I hope that you can feel that, and I hope that you can feel the gratitude I have for you from the bottom of my heart. I'm so glad to be on this nostalgic journey with you, friend. In fact, if you have a PayPal or Venmo, we've covered that, and uh, she did manage to figure it out. There's a PayPal on my website. Uh, I'd like to make, I'd like to be able to make a humble contribution as a thank you for your tireless efforts. I'm not a wealthy person. Um, I won't go into exactly what she does, but it's special education. It seems very admirable. But I would like to show you my appreciation in every, in even a small way. And in the future, if you are ever interested in bringing in some new volunteer voice talent for any of your projects, I have connections with some incredible amateur VAs with extraordinary potential. I'd even love to volunteer myself. Despite my lack of voice acting experience, I've been told I have a pleasant and expressive reading voice. Not by my students, of course. Sorry, I should specify, because now, now the joke, see, I messed up. I should have just read what you said in the parentheses. Pr- parentheticals? Parentheticals. Uh, they are special education with deaf students. So that's why, that's the, that's the joke there. <laughs> and I may be able to gain access to some relatively high quality recording equipment. Anyway, all of this is really just to say, thank you. Thank you for your effort, your time, your attention to detail, and your commitment to bringing new life to an awesome piece of our childhoods. Peace out, Kit Maverick, author, teacher, and proud Phantomorph. Thank you so much for, uh, that letter, Kit. Uh, are you me? Because a lot of this sounds very familiar. Uh, I too, I didn't, uh, I didn't get them, buy them used. I owned the uh, Hork Bajir Chronicles from a Scholastic Book Fair because that cover rules. Um, but I read most of them through my public library. But I also did not read them in order, and I don't know that I ever read all of them uh, in my childhood. And then, yeah, just like you, in my twenties, as a not even really a working adult. I had just graduated college, and I was uh, doing third shift at Target, um, st- stocking the shelves before the store opens. It was not a great time, but uh, I was struggling with that that sleep schedule where I come home at 8 a.m. and have to like sleep so that I can get up at like 4 a.m. Um, and so I needed something to kind of like unwind me, and for whatever reason, uh, it clicked to me to try to find the Animorph books and reread them. Uh, and they turned out to be a great find because it was like, it took me like two hours to read a book. So it was like the perfect amount of time. I'd knock out a book and go to bed. Um, kind of like you. Also, uh, <laughs> to make a quick clarification, Catherine Applegate did not make the PDFs public domain. She doesn't have that power. Scholastic owns the copyright to Animorphs. Uh, what she did say is she personally does not care if you find a PDF uh, of the Animorphs. And she will never issue a DMCA takedown. Um of those books. Scholastic might, and I think has in the past, but she won't. So you have her blessing, the author who wrote these, to read these. Her publisher, maybe not so much. Um, but, you know, tomato, tomato. Um, I also started this project because I really got into audiobooks. Um, I didn't use Audible because I'm, um, much like these PDFs, I like my things free sometimes. Um, you're right, Audible's super expensive, I can't afford that, at least not when I was getting into audiobooks. Uh, and here we are, and much like you, uh, people have told me I have a nice voice for, they. I've been told a lot I have a radio voice, and I'm not getting on the radio, so I was like, what, what if I read books that I like? 
And like four years now, four years later, here we are. Wild ride. So that's your life story. That's my life story. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for donating. Thank you for listening. Um, I might hit you up on the voice talent. I might not. Uh, faithful listeners will remember that uh, the last time we tried this, uh, which is kind of also my hesitancy in general, is that the more people I bring in, the you know I'm running this operation extremely lean right now. It's literally just me. So uh, I control the schedule completely. When I get more people in, it's more logistics. And, you know, I can't blame anyone for not making this their top priority. I, I can't pay anyone for this. So I understand when those things happen, but then, it, you know, also delays the episodes. And I'm so paranoid about myself losing momentum in this and then just giving up. Because uh, I really want to finish the series. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I got at least two more I have. A very good friend of mine that um, I'm trusting to pull through for me, and then an Australian that I know for the, the, that Australia book. Um, but we'll see if there's uh, other roles I need. I'll keep I'll keep that in the back pocket for sure. Thank you so much for writing in once again, Kit. Great alias. Um, that's all I got to say about that. Thank you so much. Boy, that was a lot, huh? So let's just breeze through the rest. Um, if you're like Kit and want to write me something, it doesn't have to be as lovely as this, but it could be if you want to. You can do that through that uh, website. That's, once again, theapodcalypse.com. Uh, you can do that through Gmail. That's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. And you can do it through Tumblr. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. Uh, you can also reach me on Twitter, at audiomorphs. And that is the Twitter you should uh, keep an eye out on. If I'm ever late posting, like a day late, I'll have an explanation there. Uh, other than that, I don't think I, want, I need to say anything else. We've gone long enough. Thank you all for listening. Um, we're getting close to the end now, actually. These... After after our chronicles, man, these uh, mainline books go fast. Um, so thank you for all for listening, and I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>